You're listening to Season 2 of Here and Queer, a documentary series produced for Liffey Sound FM about what it's like to come to Ireland as an LGBTQ adult. I'm your host, Keen Sullivan. On episode 6 of Here and Queer and the first episode of season 2, I speak to Brazilian actor Rodrigo Ternavoy, who came to Ireland and managed to find himself on everyone's screens on the TV soap drama Fair City. Although Rodrigo's character Cristiano left Carrickstown back in 2020, Rodrigo shares with me the dichotomy of both being an outsider in this country, but also being part of the cultural furniture when he was in Fair City along with his experience of what it was like growing up queer in Brazil and what it took for him to leave Brazil and come to Ireland. Hello everyone, Uh, my name is Rodrigo Ternavoy. I am originally from Brazil, but I've been living in Ireland for the past 14, almost 15 years, and I am an actor. Rodrigo, thank you so much for joining me to chat today. It's lovely to see you. You're not in Ireland at the moment, though. You're over in Oxford, is that right? Exactly. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, and yes, I we moved to Oxford uh, recently. It's a very you know uh, new thing to to me and my husband. Uh, I used to work for RTE, so it kind of made sense you know to be in Ireland most of the time. And he's Irish as well, uh, but now it feels just right. I don't have a job in RTE anymore or mm-hmm. in Ireland. It makes sense to you know to be moving to Oxford, which is lovely. It's full of trees and parks, and I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah, it's a lo- lovely spot. And obviously people will know you most as Cristiano from from Fair City, but we'll get into all that. <laughs> Let's go back, wind back time to Brazil. Do you want to tell us a little about where in Brazil you're from and sort of paint the scene for us of what people can envisage? Okay, uh, so, well, I'm from a very small place called São Paulo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if there's one thing that it's not, it's small. Uh, seriously, like the state of São Paulo is bigger than you know Ireland as an island. Yes, like it's, okay. it's it's crazy. It's really, really big. So anyway, I was born in São Caetano do Sul. Uh, so it's like one of the you know, small cities uh, within São Paulo State. And um it's it, it, it was it was lovely. It was a very I had a very good you know upbringing. Uh, well my parents my mom was from São Caetano uh, so she was practically born in that little of city and then my dad was from Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo. So since the beginning I always had you know those two different places to go because even mm-hmm. though we lived in Sao Paulo, uh, Sao Paulo and you know and my mom's family was always in Sao Caetano. But saying that it was very easy to get from one place to another. It was about 15 minutes in a car. We were just on the border of of you know of those uh, two cities. And um, so yeah so basically I I grew up uh, in in São Paulo and São Caetano at the same time. It's pretty much all the same. Uh, family all around. I come from uh, two very distinctive types of family. Uh, one, uh, look, the Russians. Uh, well, I would I shouldn't be saying that nowadays. I should say from Ukraine. Uh, but anyway, one one side was from Russia, and the other side was from Spain. So in okay. theory, I don't really have any Brazilian blood. Because uh, the the Russians married between themselves when they when they arrived uh, f- after the First World War uh, in Brazil, so they married between Russians. 
and then the the Spanish did the same on the other side. Mm-hmm. So again, it's it's a mix of both. And it's funny because when you look at me, I know it's a podcast, so people won't be looking at me right now. But trust mm-hmm. me when I say that I'm very pale. So I inherited, you know, like the the this king of the Russians, while my brother was the lucky one and he got the Spanish. Okay. so he's a bit more you know darker than me and right some for sure <laughs> and that's interesting like i mean obviously I'm, I'm pretty ignorant to you know the history of brazil and its colonial legacy of of brazil how many sort of cultural mixing pots are there in any given area well it's 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 bizarre because uh, brazil is huge obviously we have over 220 million you know uh population numbers and um, but we ha- we have people from all over the world. Like if you go to the south of Brazil, we still have colonies that speak German, Polish, Ukrainian, you know, Russian, uh, and they you know that kind of colony that they they still marry between themselves, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, if you come to the southeast, like São Paulo, Rio, it's a bit of you know, it's a, it's a mix of everything. You know, we have lots of foreign people, uh, and then if you keep going up, you know, northeast of Brazil. We have a lot of um, African uh, religions and, 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 and groups and the ethnicity changes quite, quite a lot. And if you go to north, uh, so northeast and then northwest, let's say, we have all the indigenous people. So we have a mix of everything, depending you know, where, where you go in Brazil. Uh, even if within my family, you're asking about you know, my, my childhood. So one side, we had the Spanish people that used to cook you know, all like this Spanish dishes and gatherings, you know, over the weekends. And then on the other side, we have the, the Russians. Uh, my granny, uh, Babushka, <laughs> uh, <laughs> she still cooks, you know, like uh, Russian food, like varenik, uh, borscht. I don't even know if the correct pronunciation uh, are like that, but uh, they still cook, you know, that sort of meals. And, and the gatherings is pretty much the same. You know, both families, they love, uh, socializing so we always have you know uh, parties and birthdays and you know big celebrations uh, especially around the granny you know granny houses and stuff like that unfortunately from my spanish side my granny died when i was quite young uh, so that kind of stopped you know uh, but on the other side my russian side uh, we still have the granny uh, she's 87 uh, she's never left to, Bra- left to brazil until she came for my wedding in 2016 She's never been inside of an airplane ever before, and she came just for the wedding. And did she grow up like she is? You know, Brazilian. Her parents were Russian, so she has the heritage with her from that. Exactly. Yeah, my great, yeah, my great great grandfather and my great grandfather left Russia uh, after the First World War, and they land. I mean, they landed. I don't know what to say. Like by boat, really. They arrived in São Paulo, and they went to work on a coffee farm. Uh, straight away so that's how everything started so my granny's father was in the same boat so you know she, she was born already in brazil but again from russian you know families uh, but it, it's it's a, it's it's a crazy mix because we looked into that and back on the day everything was russia okay before the first war uh, and then after the first world war they left because uh, my great great grandfather got injured he was in hospital for he was in the army and that sort of thing he was in hospital for six months and then after that he was like no way i cannot have my family you know uh, going through a second war possibly he was right so they realized after the, you know they left after the first war uh, it became ukraine and then after the second world war it became that particular region 
where they, they, they were coming from became Moldova, uh, which I, I find it fascinating. We actually, uh, my father's cousin, first cousin, he looked into family uh, back on the day and he found out a radio station, actually. Uh, they were looking for this particular family in Brazil that somebody in that family left to start family in Brazil. And it was our family. And then got in contact. I have a video. I have a goosebump just to remember. There's a, there's a video you can see on YouTube. It's, it's bizarre. Uh, of him, they paid for this cousin of, of, of ours to go all the way to Russia and actually meet our family. So we have people in Moscow, St. Petersburg, uh, people in, um, in, in Moldova, in Ukraine. Like it's, it's crazy how, how, how it is. The only thing is, Brazilian people are very, you know, happy and we talk a lot, big smiles all the time. And then the Russians are very cold. So as soon as the cousin, you know, those kind of TV shows where they open this door and the family comes in to meet you, you know. Uh, so we have that thing. And it's so funny because he walks in and everyone else is just like dead. No smiling. No smiling. Nobody came for a hug. So it's like I just flew all the way from bloody Brazil. It was like they were just at a, at a funeral where you have this connection now with, with the people from the other side of the world, which I think is amazing. That is amazing. That's such an interesting story. And and your background and heritage. So in your house growing up, how many languages were there? Oh, no, it was, all, it was always Portuguese. You know, uh, people do say okay. Brazilian. Don't say we speak Brazilian, we speak Portuguese. No, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Granny used to sing a few songs when I was very, very young. She doesn't do anymore uh, in Russia, in Russian. And it was lovely. And the other side was Spanish. And that Granny just born halfway from Spain and Brazil. So that one, because she grew up with so many Spanish people, she had an accent. Okay. Even the food, instead of saying like rice, we say arroz. But in Spanish is arroz. Her accent was always there. So I, I grew up listening to a little bit more Spanish than, than Russia uh, in, you know, around the granny's house, more, more or less. And some, you know, sayings and, and those sentences that only somebody from that particular country would say uh, I, I used to, to know to pronounce them as well I think that's why I I think Spanish for me is not that hard because I kind of grew up listening to it a little bit so obviously now as a big grown man you are an actor when you were a kid did you did you have that flair for the dramatic or did that come later in it's, life it's interesting because like when I when I talk to someone that's not from Brazil I always, people always say like, oh, I used to do those plays, you know, when I was young in, in school and all that. That wasn't a thing. I remember there was one play uh, throughout my whole childhood in, in, in school. Only one play. I mean, sometimes we had like those festivals, which is called Festa Junina. And it's, you know, to do with the Saint, Saint Antonio, like Saint Anthony, uh, Saint Pedro, Saint Peter, that sort of thing. So because Brazil is very religious, you know, or used to be at least, uh, they, we used to have those celebrations. So there used to be a, you know, a, a young couple, like children, like nowadays it probably would be, you know, really weird. Uh, so we had that sort of thing, but it wasn't quite acting. It was more like a dancing performance. Uh, and that was it. And then there was one play. And I remember, I really, I was dying to go and, and try, but I was very shy. And then I was part of it. And as far as I remember, I ha I'd had no lines and I just stand beside the protagonist uh, for like two scenes. And I thought it was like, 
nailing it. I was like, oh my God, I'm doing, I'm doing it properly. Everyone is looking at me. No, they were looking at the protagonist. I just happened to be beside him, uh, you know, for those particular two scenes. Uh, so that was my only contact with acting. Again, maybe if, if I had engaged, you know, in, in a proper drama school or something, but it's just going back to all that idea of coming from a modest family. There wasn't time for like, you know, inter- my, my parents were not entertaining. Oh, you go and you know, do your art and, you know, and, and be creative. No, no, no. You go and make money to pay the bills because that's, you know, what really matters. So for boys your age at the time, was it all football? Like, was it was it weird to be excited in in those sort of things? Yeah, I, I think, you know, everyone thinks that Brazil is very open-minded and, you know, it's the whole, oh, everyone is naked in Carnival, therefore everyone, you know, anything is acceptable. That's not a reality. Uh, Brazil, it's like, in, in, if there's a rank, I think Brazil is the third country that, that most kill LGBT people in the world, like number three in the list. Like we have like l- hundreds of, of you know, countries. So that's pretty scary. Uh, just to throw that information out there. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of you know expectations. I think my parents are always really kind and, and nice and open-minded. Um, uh, myself and my brother were both gay. It's just two of us, and he's also uh, gay. Uh, and I remember my dad bringing me to the football matches, uh, and he used to play in, you know, in, in a few of them, like all amateur stuff. And I used to go and hate it. I was like, I really wasn't, I wasn't enjoying myself. And then my mom used to bring me to the hairdresser. You know, she, she, she was always so glamorous and she was always going to the beauty salons. And I loved it, you know, not because there was no, there was no, no, nothing to do with uh, being feminine or, or it wasn't that, but it, it was there that, you know, I could laugh. I could hear the stories, you know, like, uh, and and everyone, it's like a performance, you know. Like each lady is going there with a different agenda, you know. One is just like to show that they're young. The other one to show that they have money. The other one to show that she got engaged. There was a lot of performance going on, and for me, it felt if I think about it nowadays, it feels almost like a theater. Going to a place where I could laugh, I could get sad because sometimes the stories were sad, and going to the football with my dad was like, okay, can we go home? Like. People just kicking balls and, you know. Oh. There's definitely a a thing about young gay boys mm-hmm. going to the hairdresser with their mom. Like, it's definitely, like, it a, thing, a yeah. thing that they remember that's, like, like, a really enjoyable part of their childhood. I don't necessarily have that myself, but I've definitely heard other people share that sentiment. Um, so, I've asked you to choose some music mm-hmm. as well. So, the first track I asked you to choose is a song that reminds you of growing up in Sao Paulo. Uh, so what have you brought to, for us to listen to? So I brought uh, Unicamente. So it's you, the translation would be like uniquely, probably. So Unicamente by Deborah Blando. She was quite famous when I was you know, young. I don't remember my age, but it was like when, whenever I started getting you know, in contact with music and being able to understand the lyrics and that sort of thing, it was quite gay. If you think about the song now, it's like, you know, I, I really like, I always like, you know, female voices, and 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 she was probably the first one that I fell in love. She was beautiful. I mean, she's beautiful, uh, blonde, and and she and she used to sing so in English as well. She sang in English and in Portuguese, and her English was impeccable. Was always, always really really good. So I don't know. Maybe I kind of fell in love with the idea that oh my god, this this person 
traveled, you know, like they speak, she speaks a different language. So she was always around and, and always in contact. And, and I remember listening to her voice and I don't know, something was was connecting, you know, the, the lyrics and her voice just connecting to, to my, to my, I don't know, to my heart, I suppose. Rodrigo, you mentioned before the break that your brother is also gay. And I find families where both or all siblings are LGBTQ so interesting. It's such a unique dynamic. In the case of you and your brother, did you both come out to each other first or did you find out via your parents? Like, how did that work? Yeah, we did come out to each other first. I remember when I was 18... Yeah, 18, I kind of had a conversation with him and he was like, I'm gay, I'm gay as well. And I was like, no, no, you're not gay. Like, you cannot be gay. You were 14. Like, you know, I, I tried to, I don't know, put this hat of, you know, the bigger brother. It was like, no, no, it's almost like, it's not, it's not almost like it is for, you know, to protect him really, because I was like, I know how not easy, you know, it is to, to, to be in that in this position. So I, I didn't want him to go through the same thing. And I was afraid that he would perhaps be copying me. You know, just because I was a bigger brother, and then um, I tried to, to, you know, to tell him, look, well, it's too early, you know, like whatever. But then obviously he was fourteen to fifteen. We kept in touch about that particular subject, and then eventually, when he was sixteen to seventeen, like we both knew, you know, uh, Bruno was always a little bit. He's not anymore, but he was quite flamboyant back on the day. So, like, if 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 you had to choose between those two brothers, it probably pro- people would probably point out Bruno first as the gay uh, you know, person in the family. And then I came out uh, pretty much f- first to everyone else. And then I kind of dragged Bruno a little bit and he never, he will never forgive me for that because um, he, he wanted to come out to my dad first. <laughs> I mean, by himself. And my dad, when I did come out, my dad accepted so well that I was like, well, I may as well just tell Bruno about yeah, While I'm here... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. While I'm here, you know, I'm just telling you, <laughs> yeah. as a friend, uh, and Bruno got very upset because mm. uh, it wasn't your call, you know, whatever. Uh, but I was only trying to help. I talked too much. So uh, it was <laughs> it was very well accepted by, by everyone. So I just decided to throw my brother, you know, under the bus with me. Uh, and, and that's how everyone, you know, found out. So, yeah. Yeah, you can get it though from Bruno's Bruno's point of view. Like that is a that is a thing you'd like to say in your own terms. So you, you can it get is, it from both yeah. sides. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, no, I do regret a little bit, but again, it, it was coming from my heart for sure. And also, then outside of the family situation within yourself, when did you start using those words with yourself? When did you start telling your friends? Like how how welcoming was was the space you were in in terms of your social circle? I do remember. Uh, that I had a boyfriend uh, when I was, no, I started going out a little bit when I was like 17 to 18, when I'm saying going out, like meeting people, there was nothing was happening, it was really just meeting people. Uh, but I always ended up with older people than me. So I always felt like I was a little bit, you know, a fish out of water, you know, like trying to fit in, but not quite and looking quite awkward. But again, it was the age, you know, you're trying to figure out things yourself and, uh, you are not. You, you're definitely not comfortable, you know, in, in your own skin. So I don't remember the age, but I remember like between 
16 to 18, I was starting to understand better. Then I was like, well, you know, I'm definitely gay. Uh, and I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. But I just was trying to to get, you know, to find my own tribe and my own friends because I didn't have a lot of people. Uh, a cousin of mine, we were like, you know, so close to each other. We grew up together since babies. I lived in his house, literally lived in, in his house for a long time because my parents lived in a different city and the best schools were in San Caetano still. And then I lived with them, you know, from Monday to Friday, every single week for years. We got on so well. And he was the first person that I decided to tell that I was gay. I was already in college uh, when I said that to him. And he didn't talk to me for 12 years. Wow. And that, and that really broke my heart, like big yeah. time. Yeah. But that mu- it must have been, it must be difficult to mend that relationship after. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I don't think we ever did. Uh, it, it probably, if he listens to this, to this probably he, he's going to feel a little bit guilty, maybe. Uh, well, he should. Uh, and uh, <laughs> but but that that's exactly what happened. It was it was one of the first times that I decided to say the word "I am gay" to someone that I loved more than anything, like a brother. You know, like it, it was really hard. It kind of it broke my uh, heart to the point that I, I I was very cautious to say that to anybody else. So I used to lie. That's the actor coming in. I used to lie to a few friends in college. Like, come on, I was eighteen, nineteen in college. And I used to lie to them, saying that I had a girlfriend that was very famous. And for that reason, I couldn't tell who the person was. Who the hell <laughs> oh, does that? The, what, that? What a big lie to go for. You don't go, oh, I met a girl on holidays and she's living in, you know, Buenos Aires. No. You went, she's really, <laughs> she's yeah, really no, famous. Baby. It's, it's an actress performance. I, I, was, <laughs> I was portraying, I was like mirroring everything I wanted for myself to know in that particular girlfriend that never existed. And it was like that for about a year. Uh, so, so, and there was, this is funny. I never said that to anyone, but anyway, there he goes. Uh, this boyfriend of mine back on the day, he used to own a car shop, like, you know, like a sales, so cars, whatever, but really, really posh cars. They were very, the guy was very rich. Uh, and uh, each, each time he was, Picking me up from college with a different car. So it's a Mercedes, limousine, a Porsche, It whatever. was her driver. Exactly. <laughs> how, how did you know? <laughs> so I used to go like, oh, like. What a tonight. brilliant lie. What a brilliant uh, it lie. Was, yeah, it, it worked so well for a few, for a few, for a few years, probably. Uh, but eventually I was like, I, I found that, like I was very upset because I was lying to people that I, that I really liked. Another best friend of mine was very evangelic, uh, Giovanna, and we still get we got on so well. And I was talking to her today, and I, even, but she was a second person that I said that I was gay, and I, that one I said, and I was so scared. I was like, oh my god, like if I told my cousin who is probably in a, I don't know, an atheist, I'm gonna tell this person who truly believes in God and everything, and she never judged me. You know, she totally accepted, accepted me big time. Uh, and then Renato and Fabio, which I, I'm still in touch with them until nowadays, they were like the second and the third people that I said I was gay. And it was totally fine. You know, we got on extremely well. But back on the day, I created like, when I came out actually to my dad, he said something which I'll never forget. He said, you t- it took you 21 years or 22 years to tell me to know that you were gay. You created this big monster all by yourself. Like I never said I wouldn't accept. I never gave you any 
indication that I would be against one thing or the other. This is on you, you know, you, you, it, this was a monster that you created and you didn't have to. And I thought it was really nice because uh, we do that in so many aspects of our lives. You know, I'm not going to apply for that job because, you know, somebody's going to say that I'm not good enough. And like we created these little, little monsters, you know, that live on our yeah. beds. Inner saboteur, as RuPaul would say. Inner saboteurs, exactly. Can I get an amen up in here? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> What's the gay scene like in Sao Paulo? Well, Sao Paulo is great. I really enjoyed myself uh, when I was young, <laughs> young and single uh, and out of relationship. Uh, after three years, we ended up that particular relationship. And because I started when I was 17 to 18, I didn't get to know because I was very faithful, you know, like I was like, no, if I'm this, this person, I shouldn't be going out at all. Um, and unfortunately, he didn't think the same way as, as I did. And that's why the relationship ended. But uh, but Sao Paulo was great. We had uh, this big club called The Week. It was a wedding in English. So a little bit, you know, uh, international stuff. Uh, gay people love, you know, the English language is amazing. When you live in Brazil, I mean. Uh, and we had this, you know, club called The Week. and they had a franchise in Sao Paulo, another one in Rio. And the parties were great. Like think about the dragon back on the day, multiplied by like 1000. Yeah, it was it was just lovely, like loads of parties and the gay scene. Once you go to a gay club, anything was acceptable, which was a little bit bizarre. Like I'll give an example. They used to have like dark rooms inside of the clubs which is it's not something you have in Ireland. And I remember having to explain to my husband back on the day, and he was like, wait, what? Like dark rooms, and yes. So like dark rooms where people, as a young gay person, was like, let's go there. I want to have a look. No way, Jose, not for me. I left as quick as I entered. Uh, but anyway, they used to have those parties with like that sort of thing. So yeah, so it was really great. The music was, was nice. Uh, I had a really good time meeting loads of interesting people, people that I'm still in touch. Cool. Yeah, that sounds great. Earlier, when you were talking about lying to your friends about your famous girlfriend, you know, you mentioned your acting skills. Talk to me a bit about when it was that you sort of realized that acting was your passion. Technically came later than in life because I only graduated in 2015 as a, as a professional actor, uh, but it was always there. I've been, I, oh, I've been a big dramatic person since day one. You know, everyone in the family knows that. Uh, I youth, I'm the one who you know, cries listening to songs or watching like, you know, uh, animals uh, on TV ads and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm a big crier. So I always had, you know, that thing of performing, you know, I always had that in me but i never explored because coming from like a very modest family in brazil i didn't have any role, role models you know like uh, any, it, there was nobody that i could base myself so it didn't happen and then obviously i i went to do what i thought was the right thing to do which was like business and finance uh got a job and like i'm very i'm very very perfectionist in anything i do in my life so it wasn't different. Like if I decided to do that, I was going to do my best. And that's when I, I, then I got a job in a bank. I was working for Citibank for five years. Uh, worked in different companies in Brazil as well, all corporate and all to do with business, really. Uh, and then after that, I decided to, well, it was Citibank, so I needed to speak English. My English was close to none. And then I decided to go to Ireland to learn the language. But yeah, no, I... Uh, I, I I grew up with that, you know, that sort of 
willingness to do, or maybe I was quite interested in acting. In my head, I I always I was always like very creative. So I remember like in my own imagination, uh, giving interviews and talk shows and working and kind of walking down the red carpets. I had a whole career in my mind. The only problem is like once I stopped thinking about it, I realized I was no one. So going back to Citibank and you know, working and making the money to pay the bills. And then obviously, you know, you, you start uh, having your in, you know, independence as well, financially and physically as well, because you're getting older. And then you, I bought my first car and then it was like, oh, my God, now I own a car. I can go to the gay parties. I can bring my friends. And then I, almost like you forget about you know, what, what your real call it is in life because you're, it's somehow you are, it feels like you're making progress. So you just keep going from from that point, uh, and it was really good. And I don't know. Of course, I I I I became don't know an adult or a young adult, uh, but eventually it just started kind of creeping in those feelings. Like, is that really what you want to do? Is that really the, what about the other feeling that you always had? And then eventually I was like, no, that that's that's not who I am uh, or who I thought I was. And now I'm going to pursue something I don't know I'm passionate about. And that's when acting came along. So you mentioned there that you came to Ireland to learn English. Why Ireland? Why not the UK? Why not America? And, well, the, the, the honest answer uh, was it was much easier to, to get into Ireland than, than uh, any other country. And back in the day, my money was really, really like short. I had no money. I was a student. So I had to go to a place where I knew 100% I would be letting to know in and then getting a job. So the options really, I didn't want Australia because it was too close to Brazil in terms of weather. Like a lot of things can kill you in Australia. You know, like I'm coming to learn English, not to challenge my life. You know, like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, the worst it's, you can get here is like a like a, a cow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or, I don't know, a courageous fox, you know, at the back of your garden in, 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 a, in a dark evening. But but that's it. So, and they're cute. I love foxes. Uh, but anyway, that that that's, for me, was, was a, you know, a no-brainer. Uh, America... I was like, America's great to, to go to Disney, to New York. But like, do I want to live in America? A lot of Americans there. So I know I was like, no, I want to go to Europe some, somewhere. So the options were uh, UK, in London, and then Dublin, and then Malta, uh, Scotland. And then, I don't know, uh, accent-wise, Scotland, everyone was like, oh, it's too different. It's too uh, unique. So you want to go UK or, or Ireland. Instantly, I fell in love with the, with the idea of, of, of Ireland. I remember Googling a little bit and I was like, uh, I don't know, people in Ireland, they love beer, they love socializing, they like parties. Uh, there was something, I, I, I actually I say that to people, I think they have a, a kind of a, a previous life connection with Ireland somehow, because uh, I just I just fell in love with it straight away. And again, it was a lot easier to get a visa as well. You could apply in Brazil. It's not that you apply in Brazil, but once you bring all the documentations, they would never send you away, which I did. In, in the UK, you could bring everything and still be sent away, which did happen with a few Brazilian people back in the day around 2007, 2008, when I arrived in Ireland. And I was like, I'm not going to take that, you know, that risk. I would rather just go somewhere where I feel you know, uh, happy and, and welcome. And I, I never regret it. it was, I became a narcissist because I love the country. Do you remember that moment, bag on your back, leaving your life behind to start a new adventure? Yeah, I do remember. It was, uh, well, my, my birthday, it's the 18th of March. Okay, so okay. the day after Paddy's Day. Yeah. And I was born on a leap year, which technically, if it wasn't oh, wow. a leap year, 
I was be, I, I would be born in the 17th of March. Yes. There's definitely a connection. Myself and Patty, we're, you know, we're very close friends. <laughs> uh, and then I had my birthday in Sao Paulo. Uh, and then I left three days after. So I arrived in Ireland uh, on the 21st of March. Uh, and it was pretty cold, I remember. Uh, but even before I came to Ireland, I remember having this party in my mom's uh, building. They have like a salon, you know, kind of space for parties and stuff. I invited a good few friends from college as well. And, a, you know, a few members of the family. Uh, not that cousin of mine, because he, he wasn't no. to me anymore. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't invited, didn't get invited. It was quite emotional as well, because um, it was the first person in the family actually going and to live abroad. At that particular point, I didn't know if it was going to be for six months, for a year, forever. Uh, and uh, my mom was quite sad, but she was happy for me as well. You know, like moms are always like that. It's kind of mix of mixed emotions. But it was lovely. I, you know, I, had, I had some really good memories. And then my parents went to the airport to bring me. And my granny went to the airport as well to say goodbye to me. Uh, and I remember crying so much, ugly crying, like big time. I, I, I'm glad the internet wasn't a thing. And <laughs> so we don't have photos of, of that moment. It yeah. wasn't pretty, I can assure you that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it was lovely. And then obviously arriving in Ireland uh, with my, my English was really bad. It was like, hi and bye. And it was more like, bye. Because if you say hi, you have to engage in a conversation in yeah. zero English. So every, every, everyone's like, oh, bye, bye. Like, that's all I used to say. Uh, but I remember getting a taxi from Dublin Airport and I had the address of this hostel uh, on Bachelor's Walk. So I gave the address to this taxi driver and his accent was so inner Dublin that mm -hmm. I couldn't understand a thing. And in my very stupid mind, I swear to God, I thought he was speaking Irish. So I kept saying to him, no, sir, no English, no Irish, only English. Only, and he probably... He, he wanted to kill me. I remember his face <laughs> going red, you know, like eventually yeah. he just took that paper off, you know, off, off my hands and was like, give it to me and you know, I'll bring it to the place, whatever. And he did bring me to Bachelor's Walk. I arrived with two big bags uh, and I was looking for the elevator and they said, there's none here in Ireland. It's called lift. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, thank you so much. So where's the lift? Because I was in the fifth floor and he was like, there's none. <laughs> The first lesson. Welcome to Dublin. Welcome to Dublin. The dark humor <laughs> is something I can connect so much. <laughs> so I went all the way to my fifth floor uh, with the two massive bags, not even talking about the small ones that we have with us uh, on top of the two big ones. Uh, eventually, after three days, I arrived at my, at my room upstairs. And then I opened the door and I swear to God, it felt like a carnival. It was like, only Brazilian people like there was nobody was speaking everyone was like oh Rodrigo come on in Portuguese of course come on welcome welcome to our place whatever and I looked around I was like oh my gosh I just spent so much to pay for this you know particular adventure to learn English and here I am I have more Brazilian people in my bedroom in, in Dublin than in my house or probably my family I remember calling the agency and complaining. They were like, oh, no, uh, we did say it was going to be just uh, foreign people. Uh, and eventually I just gave up and it, we had a really good time, obviously, because they knew everything about, you know, everything at, at that stage. And they taught me so many good things. So it was at the end, it was, was, was good. And I'm still in touch with some of them, believe it or nice. not. 
Nice. Okay, let's go for song number two, a song by an LGBTQ artist uh, that you like. Your song by Elton John? Uh, in school, because I was, I don't know, in English school to learn the language. Uh, and the teacher actually gave us the lyrics. And I remember going, you know, word by word. And actually, first the, for, for the first time, understanding what they meant. It was mm. just so beautiful. So that, that, that definitely, you know, resonated with me. It's a little bit funny. This feeling inside I'm not one of those Who can easily hide Alright, so you've arrived in Ireland Broken out of the hostel With the other Brazilians Exactly, I got away yeah. Did you did you find it easy to set your life up? It, it wasn't easy It didn't feel easy back in the day Because everything we, you know, we do It always feels like we're, you know dragging you know a huge cross with you uh, but i was very lucky because i met david after three months i was in ireland so i got to enjoy myself a little bit the dragon, that's, your, the that's your husband right <laughs> that's yeah. my husband david yeah um, so I, met, I i arrived in march and i met david towards the end of june in 2008 uh, so pretty 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 like soon i start i stopped going to parties and that sort of thing because we're kind of you know discovering each other we're very young and kind of you know becoming adults together let's say uh, in our careers and jobs so it just felt it just felt like right so i i didn't i didn't struggle uh too much to find someone to start with okay uh, someone to fall in love and start building a family and all that uh, obviously uh there was a career which I struggled a little bit more because you know I, before I decided to, to do acting to go to drama school and graduate and you know become a professional actor, I I went to do my postgrad in accounting uh, in Deloitte in DIT, and then after that I got a job in Deloitte and I was an auditor slash uh, accountant for a few years and then I gave up everything to do to you know to pursue acting, uh, but again, it wasn't that it didn't feel that hard back on the day uh, again we didn't have the issues that we have nowadays with accommodation as well so the rent was much cheaper was much easier jobs were you know it were not so rare to find uh, and i did work for inditex for a bershka do you know that clothes shop bershka is like yeah, the same as same yeah, owners yeah. zara stradivarius Pull-and-bear. so i worked yeah, so for them uh, at the cash desk for about three years and a half uh, so as soon as i arrived it was really like finding the love of my life and then finding a job where I was steady for three years and a half and then going in, you know, doing my postgrad, getting a job in a big company and then buying our, you know, house, our uh, apartment together. Uh, so it just felt, everything felt kind of, you know, fell into place. And it's funny because sometimes we have that conversation, like it's very natural. We all go through like some ups and downs in life. And sometimes when I'm feeling upset, uh, I always think about a timeline. To know like where I was back on the day and where I am now, uh, it's I, I am far from from a place where I want to be, but I'm so happy to be where I am at the moment with David, uh, with, with our little dog, which is making noise here sometimes. Things were not that difficult, but uh, David and I will always say that we since we met each other, our lives just improved so much in so many different directions, and I feel like that's when everything is balanced. It's almost like a, a good, I don't know, it's some, some sort of a, the luck found us because we found each other, if that makes sense. It took me a long time to accept myself because I was always feeling like, oh my, I'm putting myself down compared, you know, comparing myself to other people. 
And I was like, no, I don't have to compare myself to anyone. I have loads of things that Kim doesn't have uh, you know, to give. And he has things that I don't have to, to give. Uh, so we're all different in so many different places in our lives. And, and that's to be celebrated. And that, that's even as an actor, uh, I remember back in the day, people were like, really? An actor with an accent? So he cannot do American, he cannot do British, cannot do uh, Australian? Yes, love, I cannot do those accents, but I can do so many more things. You know, I don't have to sound like that particular person. If they really want a, an Australian actor, go to Australia and hire an actor from there. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I think it took me a long time to realize that I'm, I am perfect. Just the, I sound like a cliche, but it is. I'm perfect the way I am. You become an actor. You get a role on Fair City. You're on the TV. How many times a week? Two, three? three Four. <laughs> Four. <laughs> Four times a week. How does that change your feeling about being in Ireland when you're like, you know... Uh, a recognizable person from the television at this point. Yeah, it, it, it did change for sure because uh, a lot of people say, oh, I don't know, Fair City, it's over, I don't know, it's dead. That's not, don't know, reality, not, not yet, because we do have a lot of, like, the audience of the show, it's huge. I didn't know that myself, obviously, because uh, even though I, I was a wedding artist for so many years, for me, everything was new. You know, it's like I never watched Fair City until I actually got the, the gig because it's a very... Irish driven, you know, uh, show. And so and when I got the gig, a friend of mine said, are you prepared? Because you're going to be famous. You know, like people will stop you on the street and will have a chat and, you know, ask for selfies. And I was like, I don't think so. I think it's, it's, it's a gig, but you know, that's not going to happen. And then I remember the first night that the episode aired that I, I went to Tesco to buy toilet paper. And then I was just coming out of my thing with my toilet paper, you know, the big bag because it was cheaper. And then uh, <laughs> this little girl said to her, to her mom, oh, it's the guy from Fair City. And the mom was like, oh, my God, so nice to see you. You know, I loved your character yesterday or that whatever. I think it was the day after uh, that that thing happened. And then the, the, the girl was like, and he has toilet paper, mommy. <laughs> and I was like, that, from that day on, I said to my husband, I will never buy toilet paper ever again by myself. <laughs> if I buy them, you carry them. I'm not buying them. <laughs> it was one episode of Fair City, the diva was out. Exactly. I was like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> but anyway, jokes aside, uh, people did stop you know, on the street. And the character, Cristiano was always like a lo lovable character. Uh, so I always, I always had like very nice encounters with fans on, on the street or online as well. I never had any issue. But again, the character was uh, was also gay. So I I thought at the beginning I was like, well, maybe some people you know will find a little bit you know uh, uneasy with the situation or whatever. Uh, but not really. It was always like super super nice. So I never suffered you know anything because of that. If anything. I remember going to countryside, like Killarney was, was an example. I felt like I was a Hollywood star because you like those people, especially towards countryside, uh, they really, they really love the show. And you, I couldn't walk like people literally, I, I, there was one time I was in the supermarket and myself and my husband were just passing by a lady. She didn't see us. And she was like, no, Mary, I'm telling you, he's here. He's in town, Mary, I'm telling you. And, yeah. and then eventually they were just like, I think they're talking about you. And then, I was like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, I, I heard Fair City. And then I got slightly closer and she was talking about me. And then I, you know, I kind of I caught her by the shoulder, just tapped her shoulder. And she just looked 
mesmerizing. She was like, Mary, I'll call you later. <laughs> <laughs> and she had a really long chat. She was <laughs> happy and asking for a selfie. And oh my God, it was, it was bizarre. Uh, and again, but for me, even though I think it's fascinating, I think it's lovely that mm. someone appreciates her work. Of course. Yeah. Uh, it's all lovely, but I'm also like, I have two feet on the ground. It is a job. The same mm -hmm. as a radio presenter, the same as a cleaner, a, a lawyer, a doctor. It's a job. Uh, today I'm on telly. I was on telly back in the day. I left. Uh, but, you know, for that particular time was lovely. But once that show ended, I'm back on, you know, on my feet. And, and I know it's just a geek. You know, it doesn't come to my head at all. It's, it's, just, it's just who I am. What's next for Rodrigo? So yeah, I left. Uh, well, I left in, from screen really in January, but I, sh I shot everything until December last year. Uh, but on screen, I left in January this year, so pretty kind of recent. Uh, and then I went to Brazil for uh, six months. So I really wanted to pursue acting in Brazil, and I did. I I was lucky to get a good agent in Brazil straight away. Uh, I think obviously, you know, the, the the luggage, the experience that I brought from 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 Europe, well, it really helped. And then. I got a, a small part in a feature film in Brazil uh, that I had to speak English. So from other places, go all the way to Brazil to speak Portuguese and end up getting a part that I have to speak English. But that was fine. You know, it, it's, it's a part at the end of the day. And then I got another uh, part, uh, slightly bigger, uh, much bigger, I should say, uh, in a feature film that hopefully goes to some sort of streaming, goes to the cinema first in Brazil, and and after that maybe some sort of streaming, hopefully Netflix, and then we can, you know, I can show it to my friends in Ireland. Uh, but it's still like being, you know, post production at the moment. I have a nice part as well. Even my hair was blue. I had to dye my hair blue, exactly. big time. New challenge. Uh, exactly. I look like a like a blue parrot or something. Okay. But uh, it was it was nice. It was, it was a challenge. I really enjoyed, and I worked with like some really big names in Brazil. Uh, and now I am well. Then I I did an audition for a, a Netflix production filmed in Ireland, uh, Irish Wish. Uh, the protagonist is Lindsay Lohan, uh, and then I got a small part. So I am in, in that particular feature film. Did you get to meet uh, Lindsay? I met her briefly, but we're like okay. not, our scenes were not together. So I just oh, said hello, whatever. She's a little gorgeous. Well, I'm super excited for that Lindsay Lohan movie, even more so now. <laughs> and uh, all the best to your future endeavors. I'll be keeping a keen eye on it. Thank you so much for chatting. We're going to finish things out with your final song, which is a song that you chose that reminds you of Ireland. Uh, what will you be listening to? I think I said Enya, didn't I? You did. Echoes in Rain is the one you chose. Yes, Echoes in Rain. Actually, I could choose any song from Enya because mm -hmm. I, I listen to all of them, but that was, that's the one that I always listen first. And the reason is every time I'm working on a script uh, on a particular scene or trying to declutter my mind from every, everything else, I try to, to listen to Enya. It just, it just gets to me, you know, it keeps me calm and, and happy. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week and thank you so much for all your support so far in the airing of this season and the last. And thank you so much to Rodrigo for being so open and honest and generous with his time and with his story and sharing it all with us. I will never forget that story about the fake girlfriend and her and her driver. <laughs> so brilliant. Next week, we are heading to Spain when I speak to Mark, who tells us 
and more positive side of growing up queer in a more progressive country. I'll see you then next Wednesday, 9 to 10, here on Liffey Sound FM. Have a good week. Thank you.